Hello, today I'll be reading Proverbs. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord. Your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Our steadfast love and faithfulness iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. My Bible college professors often invited students into their homes to get to know them outside the classroom. We'd play games, watch movies, and talk about all sorts of things. It was a meaningful time of relationship. One day after class, one of my professors took me aside to chat. He had a serious look in his eyes. Not unusual for this professor, but something was different. He wanted to talk about a paper I had submitted for his class. Now, I've always enjoyed writing, and I found it easy to research, write, and edit. My professor told me that my paper was one of the best in the class, arguably top of the pile. I was beaming. It was nice to be recognized. But then he made clear why he actually wanted to talk. He felt that although the content was high quality, my attitude around the paper had been so flippant and proud that he considered giving me a zero. I was confused. He explained that a few days earlier, I was at his house with other students and had casually said that I could finish the paper in one afternoon. After all, words came easy to me. I didn't think anything of it, but my professor saw through my words and he identified pride in my heart. I was offended at first, but after some time, God reminded me that my professor cared for me. Because he cared, he didn't want me to put my trust in my own abilities and miss the point of writing the paper to know God better. In the end, he didn't give me the zero. But I will never forget the deep concern in my professor's eyes as he cut my spirit to heal my soul. Pride. It lives deep within us. We silently judge others in our hearts when we see how they act. We think ourselves better or more important than others. It comes out in false humility and the feeling that we never need anyone else to help us. It's a flippant attitude toward things we're naturally gifted at doing. It's a sticky tar that clings to our soul and seeps deep into every crevice of our being. But we might not even know it. Today's reading comes from Proverbs 16, so you can turn there in your Bible. God has much to say about pride and about its counterpart, humility. We are going to see how pride leads us into ruin and how God invites us into restoration when we let God be God and humbly trust in him alone. 
Let's pray as we start and ask God to show us our hearts and reveal our own heart to us. So Father, just pray that you would show us how much you love us and show us our desperate need for you. In your name, amen. Proverbs 16, 1-2 says this, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. It's natural to think that we know the best way to do things. God gave us the ability to reason and deduce and make decisions, to set plans and follow through on them. This proverb shows us that no matter how pure our plans are to us, God is the one who determines what is right and what is good. The word but in both verses contrasts our way with God's way. All we need is one look at society, one honest look into our hearts to see that we constantly try to determine what is right and good for ourselves. We might not think it's pride, but it is an effort to make ourselves the God of our lives. It's our effort to live without God, which is not the way that we were made. God created us in his own image. We reflect God in everything that we do. God made us to praise him and enjoy him, to have relationship with him and to depend on him for everything. When that relationship is in order, we can live our lives in proper relationship with others and with the rest of the world. This was the good order that God created. The first people, Adam and Eve, lived in God's presence in the Garden of Eden, but an enemy was present in the Garden too. Satan was an angel created by God. He was unsatisfied with the order God had created, and he thought that he deserved to be worshipped instead. His pride led him to rebel against God, and for that, Satan was thrown out of heaven. His fall is recorded in Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the most high. Satan wanted to be like God. When he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, he used this same tactic. Satan lied to us and made us think God was keeping us from achieving our full potential. He convinced us to reject God's good order and to rely on ourselves instead of on God. Adam and Eve put themselves before God. In pride, we think we know better than God. Pride puts us before God. From then on, we've constantly been putting ourselves first. We all think we know what's best. I'm the third of four children. We didn't always get along as we grew up. One night, a babysitter was over and a big fight erupted. It was bad enough that I decided I was going to run away from home. I stomped up to my room. I picked up my pillow. I put my piggy bank in for good measure. I knew I'd have to pay for rent and groceries if I was going to live on my own at the age of eight, and I made my way to the back door, announcing that I was running away. The babysitter, probably amused by all this, simply said, good luck with that. I assumed she misunderstood, so I clarified, I'm running away and not coming back. She nodded. Okay. How much money do you have in that piggy bank anyways? I hadn't thought of that. 
How far do you think you'll get? I should probably change my shoes. She continued asking questions, and I realized my plan wasn't going to work after all. It was pure in my eyes. I felt justified in my action. But she spoke wisdom into my heart and managed to get paid at the end of the evening for keeping all four children safe until my parents came home. Without God guiding us, we set ourselves on a path of destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It feels good to be recognized when we do something right. It feels good to see the likes pour in on social media when people notice us. It feels good to have the attention. Can we do things well? Sure. We have talents and abilities, and we should use them. But even our abilities, they don't come from ourselves. God gave us the bodies and the minds that we use every day. Even with years of practice, we still can't claim ultimate responsibility for what we have. We build ourselves up, but we were not made to be the center of attention. God is the center. He's the maker of all things and the giver of life. We will never have enough, do enough, or be enough to fill that role. God didn't make us for that, but we try anyways. Our pride is an effort to be God's ourselves. Instead of looking to God to be our provider, we look to ourselves and selfishly pursue our own ego, building up our own kingdoms. We kill, we steal, we lie, we start wars, we embitter ourselves towards others who aren't like us. We clamor over anyone who tries to get in our way. We don't have to look far to realize that our efforts lead us into destruction and death. But God's grace keeps us here today. And by his grace, we've experienced good things, advances in culture, technology, medicine, arts, more. But our history is bloody and me-centered. We don't know how to trust God to lead us and provide. We don't see as God sees. When God gave Israel its first king, it was because the people wanted protection. In their eyes, it would be good to be ruled by someone mighty and powerful. Ironically, Israel was a people with God in charge. I can't think of anyone mightier or more powerful than the creator of the universe. Regardless, God gave them a man named Saul and told both the king and the people that if they obeyed him, all would be well. As time went by, Saul chose to do things his own way. He disobeyed God and the people disobeyed along with him. So God sent his prophet Samuel to find a new king. When Samuel thought he had found a man for the job, God told Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. God's ways are beyond our own. Saul's pride put himself before God. And God took the kingdom away from Saul. God instead chose a man named David, a young shepherd in a small town, to be the next king for his people. David hadn't done anything to earn this honor, but God chose him. Our plans seem good to us when we make them, but we might not realize that the way we are thinking comes from a place of me first. A few weeks ago, 
Pastor Willie spoke on having a good name, bearing a name that reflects God's nature to the world. If we pursue careers, houses, educations, relationships, also that our own name is built up, we give in to pride. We're a lot like Saul, called to obey God, but rejecting his rule in our lives. We've lost focus of God and now focus instead on ourselves. The truth is, life isn't about you. It's not about me, but God loves you. He loves me. He knows that for us to live our lives to the full, the way we were designed, we need to see how dependent we are on him. Despite our pride, God invites us to experience renewal. If pride puts us before God, humility corrects that order and puts God before us. Humility puts God before us. This is what Proverbs 16.3 reveals. Commit your ways to the Lord, or sorry, your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. We can re-engage with the good order God created. Although we can make plans, we must submit those plans to God who has the final say. This verse does not mean that if we commit ourselves to a plan and then ask God to bless it, that he will give his approval regardless of what our plans are. Instead, this verse reminds us of our dependence on God. Humility recognizes God is in control. Without his hand in a plan, it comes to nothing. There are echoes here of Proverbs 3, which Pastor Rob focused on at the start of our series. He said that God is concerned about the details of our lives. And he is. God is intimately aware of and interested in all of the moments of our lives. Because of this, God calls us to trust in him in every moment of our lives. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Doesn't it make sense to get to know the one who knows best? Consider this. When you purchase a car, you use it according to the manufacturer's instructions. If your car runs on gas, fill it with gas. If it runs on diesel, fill it with diesel. And if you have an electric car, plug it in. To do otherwise would be foolish and would break the car. When we try to fill our lives with things that God didn't make us for, we break down. When we try to take control of our lives and proudly declare that we can figure it out and be better gods than God himself, we break down. We fill ourselves on studies and careers and hobbies, hoping these things will bring us fulfillment, that they will show us why we're here, that they will validate who we are. Proverbs 16.4 gives us a better hope. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. This points back to the creation order. Remember, we were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He made us to be his people, to be his children. God is our wonderful, loving father. But verse four says more. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction. Uh Uh-oh. That doesn't sound wonderful. That sounds wrathful. Who is the wicked? What is the day of destruction? Verse 5 adds to this thought, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. If pride resides in your heart, 
it makes you an abomination to God. It makes us repulsive to God. Why? Because we look at God and we say, I can do better. We say, I can take care of myself. St. Augustine once said, pride is the beginning of sin. And what is pride? But the craving for undue exaltation. And this is undue exaltation. When the soul abandons him to whom it ought to cleave as its end and becomes a kind of end to itself. When we turn away from God and try to make a name on our own, we try to rob God of the glory he deserves. But God will not share his glory with anyone. If we live our lives full of pride and arrogance, we will reap the fruit of our labor. The prophet Jeremiah further nails our coffin, saying that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. God searches our heart and tests our mind and gives every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his deeds. We reap ruin because we have rejected God. We reject the giver of life and all that remains is death. So what hope is there for us? How do we kill pride and walk humbly before our God? If our pride blinds us to our need for God, how can we enter the good life that God created us for? We find hope in verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Iniquity is another word for sin. By doing things our way instead of God's way, we sin. To atone means to cover. It seems that in order to cover our sin, to make up for our pride, we must love others better, be better at putting them first, and do the things God wants us to do. Then we will be accepted by God and not receive punishment for trying to do things our way. But there's a problem. We've already established that we are me-centered through and through. We don't want to put others first. We definitely don't want to put God before us. I know what's best. I can make this decision for myself. Thank you very much. We're in trouble. If we see this verse and think, okay, I need to love the people around me better. I need to obey more of God's commands. I need to try harder to overcome that sin. I need to stop giving in to temptation. My friends, we can't do it. There's no amount of effort we can muster to be the people God commands us to be. There aren't enough checklists and to-dos that will satisfy the demands of the infinitely perfect and holy God who rules supreme over all things. The irony is the more we attempt to do better, the more we root ourselves in our own abilities and completely ignore the instructions of Proverbs to lean not on your own understanding, to commit our work to the Lord. If we think we're doing better, our efforts only leave us burned out. So whose steadfast love and faithfulness can cover our sin since we can't do it ourselves? It has to originate in God himself. God has to take action so that we can experience the freedom from pride that we so desperately need. Thankfully, God is love and he is willing and able to cover our sin. He set a way for us to be brought through death into life, to be reunited in our relationship with him. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In humility, Jesus put us before himself. When we had turned our backs on God, God turned his face toward us. We try to become gods and take his place, but in his love for us, God became man so that we could return to him and experience the fullness of life that we were created for. In humility, Jesus became human and experienced our life with all its intricacies and the details he's concerned about. He lived among us, walking with the needy, the lowly in spirit, the sinful. Jesus, in humility, was obedient to his Father. Jesus became lowly in spirit, associating himself with the poor, not clinging to the spoils of the proud. He was entitled to all the riches of the world, but he did not grasp for that. Jesus becoming human is sometimes called the humiliation of Christ. Hidden in that word is the core word of humility. Jesus was humiliated far beyond anything our human minds can imagine. Here's what Philippians 2 says about Jesus. Although Jesus was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In humility, Jesus committed his works to the Lord. When he knew he was nearing the end of his life, he took his closest followers to a garden and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He prayed that prayer three times. He knew what was about to take place, but he also knew that he could trust his father with all his heart. His death on the cross was the only way for us to be saved from our sin, to be freed from our arrogance. In love, he laid his life down to cover our sins on our behalf. Jesus is our atonement. Remember Proverbs 16, 6. It is love and faithfulness that atones for sin. Jesus died and rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin and break its hold on us. God delivered the only work that would satisfy his demands, a perfect and sinless life, one of infinite value that could pay the infinite cost of our sin. Jesus pays the debt. He takes the shame. He breaks the power of death. Jesus humbled himself. He put us before himself. When we trust in the work of Jesus, when we rely on his love and his faithfulness, he ushers us in before God. The guilt of sin is gone. There is freedom. The shame of not living up to expectations is gone. There is honor as a child of the king. The fear of death and God's judgment against us is gone. There is power over sin and a promise of life with him forever. We find in Jesus fullness of life and love without end. God shows us that there is nothing we have to do to make him love us anymore. 
and nothing we could possibly do to make him love us any less. In turn, God calls us to share this hope and assurance with everyone. There's transformation. I get to work for God, not as a slave out of obligation, but as a son out of love. I get to invite others into the family of God through the free gift of life that is ours in Jesus Christ. God's spirit at work in me is making me new every day. This means operating with the mind of Jesus. As children of God, we become like Jesus, the son of God. We are empowered to see others with God's eyes. Now, we are graciously commanded to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind about yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is a trademark of a gospel-transformed mind. Jesus put us before himself, so now we can put others before ourselves. When we rely on Jesus, we have no reason to be proud. We instead rely on his promises and his power. We return to that good relationship with him and humbly turn our praise and worship toward him. In thankfulness, we take our eyes off ourselves and put them back on God. Gratefulness necessarily kills pride. Whether that's toward God or toward others, we realize how much we rely on others beyond ourselves. But this gospel is only good news if you humble yourself. A proud heart cannot receive life from God. A proud heart will continue to reject God. I urge you today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. We can only find peace and purpose when we humbly submit ourselves to God. He invites us to rest. If you've never given yourself to God today, you need to trust in him. If you're a follower of Jesus already, today you need to trust in him. Our need doesn't change just because we've believed. If anything, I know better today that I need him more and more. Thankfully, he works in us to bring our desires in line with his own. A humble life reflects Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we operate with a God-first mind, our desires change, our mind is renewed, and what we want becomes the thing that God desires himself. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel into every relationship, to reflect God's image into the world. We've received new lives of freedom, and we get to invite others into that same freedom. But there's urgency. Jesus is coming back. He will bring to himself all those who trust in him for salvation. If you do not submit in humility— but instead try to press on in your own pride and your own efforts, you will receive the reward for your efforts. You will be cut off from God forever and experience eternal death for your sin. But those who have been called by Jesus into life will be saved. 
Sin will be removed forever. On that day, we will be glorified and fully reflect God in our being. In a beautiful twist of fate, we will receive the exaltation that pride attempts to grasp for itself. But it's not because of anything we will have done. It will all be because of Jesus. And we will live with him forever according to the good order that he has established. Never afraid, never ashamed, never found guilty. Only freedom, only grace, only love. A few weeks back, I was trying to connect with a student. It had been a while since I'd contacted them, and honestly, I was ashamed. I felt like I wasn't living up to my role as pastor, and that I was a bad Christian. Surprise. I confided in a friend who prayed for me. In their prayer, they prayed that God would help me and would show me if pride was standing in the way of reaching out. I hadn't thought that. But the Holy Spirit showed me that my shame was self-directed, that I was more concerned with how I looked, that I didn't want to admit that I couldn't measure up even to my own standards. I was able to confess my pride and repent, and God restored my relationship with that student. Pride kills. It destroys everything it touches. It attempts to put us on the throne that was made for God alone. Only through Jesus do we find freedom from pride, because only Jesus is able to open our eyes and show us our desperate need for God. So we come to the final verse this morning, Proverbs sixteen twenty. Give thought to the word and discover good, that you may be blessed by trusting in the Lord for your salvation. Jesus is our only salvation. He shows us that we do not have any reason to be proud or to trust in ourselves. Instead, we can humbly trust in the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, our Father, and in humility, draw others to God through the same love we have received.